You're listening to a 3CR podcast. It's Radiothon time again at 3CR. This year marks 40 years of radical radio at 3CR, and we're asking you to keep us on air for another 40 years by donating your money to 3CR's Radical Radiothon, June 6 to 19. Call us on 03 9419 8377 or visit us online at 3cr.org.au. Enjoy your podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. And good morning, fellow listeners. And uh, this is 3CR. This is Annie on Showreel. And uh, we look at Australian film and things that are going on in uh, the moving arts, image arts of Australia. And today we're lucky enough to be uh, talking to a filmmaker, Grant Shaluka, Shaluna. Sorry. Uh, he's, his film is just out. It's oh, Well, it's just about out. It's called Down River. G'day, Grant. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah. And... Uh, I've seen your film. I was very impressed. And then, of course, I started to look further into what you've been doing. Um, the, a short film you made earlier called uh, The Wilding, it almost feels like uh, you um, couldn't bear letting go of Reef Island, who's the <laughs> uh, the protagonist, main protagonist in Down River. And we're now into a new instalment in his life. Is that how it worked? Or? Yeah, look, it's very true. I mean, you can certainly look at the two um, two together uh, or separately they work on their own terms. But, um, yeah, you know, as you're making short films, you're often making calling card films while you're working on or working towards a feature film. And by that point in my short film career, we definitely were really planning downriver. So we're trying to find something which could be a bit like that, um, like a set up to, to the feature so we could use that as well as have the script, as well as hopefully have a very good central strong performance by Reef. Um, and yeah, so it takes place, it's almost like the 15 minutes before downriver starts. Uh, it's all That's set, right. yeah, yeah. It's all set in uh, juvenile detention. You know, setting up the character that he uh, is uh, criminal, charged with some crime. You're not sure what it is in the wilding. Um, it's more about a relationship between him and his cellmate, uh, and then downriver delves much, much deeper into what it is he's done in the past and, um, you know, his intentions and, and trying to find himself in his own redemption. So, uh, I mean, you're a writer and director and this is your first feature, but it doesn't feel like a first feature, I'll have to say. It feels really quite... Uh Competent, and there's a variety of things I want to ask you about. Um, obviously, the actors—you've got fantastic actors. Mm. 
Yeah, I was really, really lucky. But, I mean, I spend a lot of time in casting. I feel like that's um, probably 60 70% of my job is done before the film starts in the casting room, just finding the best possible performers. And we also have some, you know, incredible legends of the industry in our film. So we've got Helen Morse, who has had a long career, sort of resurgence of the Australian film industry through the 70s was sort of carried on, on, on by Helen Morse. We've got Kerry Fox, who's a wonderful international uh, actress. And at the same time, we've got a lot of new people who are really exciting, um, new young actors coming through through the ranks or some people who have worked in theatre and uh, maybe known that way. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's all, you know, what I do is all about working with actors. And I appreciate what you say about it not looking like a first-time film. And I think part of the, the credit to that goes to... Um, all the great experienced people that I have around me in, in terms of not just cast, but uh, also all the heads of department, the cameraman, sound, all of that. Those people are not first-timers, unlike myself. They have been around for a very, very long time, and so they're very experienced, and that certainly helps uh, helps me. How did you get Robert uh, Taylor? I mean, he, I mean Longmire. I mean, that <clears throat> yes. is such an excellent series. I don't know if anybody out there has actually watched Longmire, but it is... A real creeper that film, uh, that series. Yeah, and he is fantastic in it. He plays Sheriff Longmire in, in Wyoming, oh, wow. I think it is. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, look, he he came up uh, when we started talking about actors. Our casting agent mentioned him, and I recognised him, but I needed to really look into his work because he's one of those actors who is yeah, like a real not have seen chameleon. Yeah. And then and then you're like, oh, that guy, and you know, he's been in the Matrix. Um, Longmire is certainly the thing he's most known for now. Now, at the moment. And, yeah, um, yeah look, we just uh, – we approached him, we sent him the script. Uh, and I, he wanted to do it. Yeah, I sat That's down That's what I really him. wanted to know. Uh, uh, obviously, people who do incredible things are coming back to Australia because – Actually, they just like to act. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, he, he, he lives in St Kilda. He spends a lot of time in the US shooting that show, but uh, he likes to to hang out in St Kilda. And, you know, our requirement for him was, was one week, and he was back in Australia at that point. And like you say, he, he loves, to, loves to act. He loves to um, inhabit different characters. I sat down with him before we started shooting. It was a kind of like... Um, audition type situation of him auditioning me as a first timer and me and me just wanting to make sure that I liked him as a person because you do have to really have a rapport with someone before you go into a film like Down River Um, and we just talked about acting and we talked about the types of performances that we liked and we were both just on the same page and I love him in the film he is so so good he's just got this really earthy center and um, he's got an incredible moment and you know I'm, I'm really glad that people are are noticing, you know, what an amazing actor he really is. Well, that's the thing about Down River. It's not a lightweight film. It's a really gritty film. You don't go and see this film thinking you're, you know, that uh, it's a party. It's not. It's yeah. not a, uh, a vaudeville uh, laugh a minute sort of film. What it is for me, uh, coming from the country, is a fantastic exploration of perhaps the more murky side of life and what I was wondering was why did you why do you grapple with these stories what, what what's going on in your mind because you're a great I actually went to a film last night that's a really big budget film and it's got great actors in it and the script is terrible <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll do my review later on I won't I won't <laughs> spoil it but I was floored 
by yeah. the boringness of the script and the irritating nature of it and the waste of the actors. But mm. you've got this really solid way of bringing the characters completely character-driven and mm. you give these actors great scope to mm. actually do their, what they do best. Yeah, and look, I think my my attraction to material is is very complex. I mean, I I love all kinds of all kinds of films, um, but but especially I love character and I love narrative and um, and so I started writing down River quite a long time ago when I was still learning how to be a writer. I was at RMIT screenwriting and I started developing this story, and really it sort of it started from a. a a question of, of trying to understand. I mean, it's very um, extreme content. It was an well, extreme it is, it is. place to start a story. It's a, it's, it's a, a story. really sad story too. It's about a young a young a young guy played by Reef Island who, when he was ten, uh, committed a murder and was involved in a murder of an, another child in a river, and the child's body was never recovered, even though Reef's character called James was charged. And um, and the film picks up much much later, and his journey to at least try and find what became of the body. Now that's um, that's a that's a that's pretty a extreme. Yeah, that's a pricey of, of the film. Um, for me, it was it was starting from uh, the point of of trying to understand how a child could uh, commit uh, such an act. Um, I wanted to ask questions about. Um, whether uh, if you if you commit something or some sort of act at the age of ten, whether that should define you for the rest of your life, and if it does, what you can do to change that. So I had all these questions, and at the same time, when I started to build up the script and add characters, it was very important to me that no one character was just functional. So there was no two dimensional aspect to any of the characters, and so I always wanted to give a moment or a real reason, which might be a thematic reason as well as narrative reason, why a character was in the story. And so I I wrote big scenes for these people and great moments for these people. And so I... And did, I, and did you use them all? There's one character who didn't make the cut of the film, which is still the sore point of my how I feel about the film. We could talk about you that je- later. You but jettisoned a person. Oh, it's, it's really devastating because she was a fantastic uh, young performer as well. But um, but you know, well, all, there's all always the... you you you'll write some more stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I owe her actually. <laughs> she came to set. <laughs> And she gave so much and she didn't make the film. Um, but all those moments, those big moments, like that moment for Robert Taylor, Kerry Fox has a big moment. There's moments for Helen Morse, which are very silent and without dialogue. All of that stuff is just my hope as a young director to just be in the presence of fantastic actors who hopefully have some depth in material to, to work with something and provide something interesting for an audience. Uh, and that's, you know, what's happened for me through through Downriver. So. Mm. What was the big, uh, I mean, I'm stealing a question from some of the uh, press material, but it's a good question. What is the big difference But for you? What was the developmental uh, trajectory for you going from a, a short film to this major feature? Yeah, look, the short film certainly – I never studied directing and so I was really just learning about directing as I was making the short films. And so I did do that classic thing of making a lot of mistakes and learning from them, hopefully. Um, as did I went they into, all hate you by the end? Uh, who, who did hate Did you, you have arguments? How long was the shoot? 
For Downriver? Yeah. Four weeks. Four weeks. So most Not shorts, long enough for them to hate you. No, it was it was fast enough to get out of there. We're still friends. <laughs> um, but most short films are sort no, of I'm over with three or five days. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's certainly I've a big I've worked on difference. some that have been about three months and people do hate Oh, yeah. Other people. I mean, you're so you're spending 12 or 16 hours a day with these people and really intensely. I'm not surprised. But look, one of the things I did learn in, in making shorts, and while I made a short, um, I was also mentored by Bruce Beresford. Oh, fantastic. On Mao's Last Dancer. And so uh, for me, that was my training ground as a director. And oh. I watched him on set and I watched him with actors and with crew and the calm – as absolutely a clear blue day, he was just a, de- a delight on set. And sometimes I'd say to him at the end of the day, wow, that looks really tough. It looks like you weren't going to get everything you wanted or, or the, the stress of it. And he said, I will never let an actor or crew uh, see me stressed because once I'm stressed, that trickles down. The people below me start thinking, am I contributing to the director's stress? And then their team start feeling even more stressed and you don't get good work that way and so that's the big thing I learnt through my short films was just how to conduct yourself as a person on set with crew and with cast and I learnt that pretty late through my shorts it was probably the the last short I made I sort of grasped that concept and I took it into Downriver and as as hard as it was we were four week shoot is really fast and what we were doing I just tried to go zen (laughs) and uh you know just keep it together and 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 make the experience as enjoyable for everyone as as we possibly could so that everybody was was able to really bring their a game you're on 3cr with annie and we're having a chat with grand chaloon 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 sorry mate it's a great name chaloon uh i'm sure we're going to see it up in lights uh the uh it's showreel and we're talking australian film and we're talking about grant's film down river which is a stunning film actually it's a very uh, it's a gritty film uh and it's uh i expect that it will make its way overseas to uh, various festivals it will won't it yeah we've already played overseas yeah, so we played at the Toronto Film Festival. How did it go? Yeah, fantastic. I mean, really, I was over there for it. I was really, um, it's, it's, you can't help but compare the audience response in, in Australia to an international response. I've also been to Miami with the film and had the response. Uh, from, so tell us about those different look, ones. Look, you know, the, the Americans and the Canadians, they just go at it in a wonderful way. They just start dissecting it and they've all got such um, such strong opinions, especially about my film, which is very well, suggestive and mysterious yeah. and it's not all tied up in a neat bow. Um, and so Americans can fall one way or the other because they're used to cinema which spoons feed, f- spoon feeds them. Uh, so they'll come at me and they're like, you have to tell me exactly what happened that you, you that is not in the film. I need to know this. And I said, well, no, like it's your own judgment that you bring is is just as valid as, as what I'm thinking about it. And then there's an, another side to Americans which are just so relieved to have a film which uh, doesn't tie up everything neatly for them. So the response in Toronto was absolutely fantastic and always sold out. The Q&As were really intelligent um, and the same same with the American screenings. We are releasing in America later on this year, so the response in America has been really, really good. Um, Australians are a little bit more reticent. I mean, they sort of um, are embracing the film. We certainly have a 
a wonderful um, uh, uh, audience building up around our festival screenings in Brisbane and Melbourne and um, and others soon to be. But um, you know, Australians are just a little bit more one step uh, shyer than than Americans who just want to be heard with their opinions. And in a way, for a filmmaker, it's a, a wonderful thing to to have the audience just really want to tell you what they think and feel. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because uh, I, I guess Australians are a little bit more understated. Um, there are a couple of – if I go back to the film and I think about some of the things that you've done in the film itself, the way you've written it and also how you visualised it, uh, I, I found it really amusing what you did with the T-shirts, what you had hmm. on written on – you did that on purpose, I presume. Yes, well, that's um, – again, like I said before, the experience like, of... uh, The lead character, he gets to get be called fake – He's got a yeah. T-shirt that says, and they're all faded. They're all faded like they've worn them for 100 years, which is very Australian. And it's got fake. And uh, I can't remember what the uh, – I had it written in my head, the the creepy guy, the young creepy guy, Anthony, he had something on his front. Yeah, there. he's got the word truth. Yeah, that's right. And the other one has uh, ne- ever, everlasting summer. Yes, he does, like, like this sort of beautifully naive, naive beautiful romantic notion of summer, and that's not yeah, what happens, happens for him. Um, and all of that stuff's the, the the work of the costume designer and the design oh, right. because you know you look at the film and it's a very understated film it's yeah, not yeah. You it's know, very Australian actually it's not a huge opportunity for great gowns or design or no. anything but those beautiful details are um, Michael Chisholm and he's been around for a long 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 time and I said well you know we talked about the characters and he said you know what would they be wearing and I'm like oh the boys would just wear shorts and t-shirts won't they and he's like yeah okay and then you come back to me with these wonderfully ironic um, comments or thematic comments which is subtle it's through the um, you know through the t-shirts yeah I thought that was so amusing and I Reef told, wears I was a Batman to symbol yeah. you know most of the movie is this sort of dark hero Batman and I just loved that because that's how how I feel about his character as well. He's this sort of dark hero that's sort of come to try and save the day in some way whatever way he can. So. As, uh, and that's the thing, it, there's a certain um, uh, there's metaphors and symbols going on there uh, because of course there's the action but there's also and this is what gives it the true depth he's actually trying to save his own soul Yes, that's right. He is trying to find some sort of freedom from the oppression which still exists even and after he's left the prison. I find it interesting that you use uh, them walking off to the sea since it was uh, coming from the country, uh, uh, river, river landscapes and the way it ties you up, rivers and the landscape around rivers tie you up while the sea uh, releases you. Yeah. Uh, that was what was going on there. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's purely a, a feeling, a sense of um, opening up because it has been a very claustrophobic film. A lot of it is set in a caravan park in tiny, tiny oh, little no. cabins. And then, as you say, even the landscape of the rivers is 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 not a, an open landscape. It's like trees coming in at you in the river out of the river and so it's a gnarly wild sort of landscape and um, what I wanted for the for the ending moments is just a kind of sense of being able to breathe again or, or, or take a breath uh, and so that's why we decided to go um, to the sea. Which is interesting because it's exactly the same kind of ending as Romper Stomper. Oh, that's I right. I haven't you've seen it. about it. But yeah, yeah, that's absolutely I was, I, right. I, I, I've just been noticing that uh, the Australian's connection to landscape. Yeah. It's quite profound. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, um, did you 
it, when you're doing the shoot, like it was four weeks, but uh, how much storyboarding and stuff like that did you do? I mean, I, I, I don't know if you've seen Scott Scorsese, but in mm, that uh, exhibit, yeah, yeah, he's really detailed in his uh, uh, visualisation of the cuts and mm. how he shoots and all the rest of it. Uh, do you work that way? Yeah, I'm actually the opposite. Um, and so I think part of me is sometimes compelled to storyboard and sometimes you have to storyboard certain sequences and a lot of Scorsese films are sequences. They're, they're, they're sequences. Yes, yeah. they need to be um, communicated to a crew in a really, really rigorous way and so storyboards yeah. are he's a the best way to do in, that. Yes. You're going to, he's, a, he's a Hitchcockian person. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and my cameraman, Leslo Baranyai, who has made probably about 60 or 70 feature films across his career, <laughs> both in Hungary and here in Australia. You picked well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He would say, don't do it. Don't storyboard. Don't um, lock yourself down because once you start drawing those pictures and put those energies into those pictures, if you turn up on set, and oftentimes it, it won't work because of the location or an actor, especially when you've got strong-willed actors as I did, which I loved. Yeah, they're like, mm, you know what? I don't want to go over there. I don't want to move in that way. And so, and Laszlo preempted that. And so he would always say, just trust that will turn up on set, you know what you want from the scene. You have to have this amount of stuff by yeah. the end. And, um, and so Laszlo would stand next to me as we block through the scene and rehearse the scene, and I'd be starting to think about the shots. And, of course, he's silently observing the whole team, the whole thing. And I might say, Laszlo, I think we need five shots. And he'd say, mm, actually, no, I think we can do it in just one. Uh, and so you, you bring together the two ideas, and that's – becomes the plan for the shoot of, of the scene. Oh, that's fantastic. And mm. how about the editing? And then the editing, uh, we we cut over about three months, so it was a much more leisurely process than mm. the shoot. Um, the editor is Anthony Cox, who uh, this was his first feature. So in one way oh, he, he, he both of you. bucks against the trend of, of the experience, but uh, Anthony cut all of my short films and so we worked together uh, right across uh, developing our skills and um, and so in the edit I was there with him the whole time we butt heads against each other with certain decisions we had to make some really um, bold changes in in the edit because the film was sitting too long and it had to be contractually under a hundred minutes there's various reasons for that but there was no way we could get around that and when we got it down to a length that we were really happy with we were still about 10 minutes too over this goes to the heart of why that character ended up being cut out and it was purely because you took of a length. whole bit out instead it was of... it was a subplot yeah that had to go um, but in the edit it was a very creative um, a very creative space and also our investors just encouraged us to keep being creative and so we discovered techniques which um, you know that layering of dialogue through the film which is quite unconventional mm. we discovered that in the editing room that you could divorce dialogue from what you're seeing carry the dialogue into the next scene it has Quite an interesting oh, yeah, effect that's a on fabulous the effect. Actually, that's being used quite. I've been watching that a lot lately. It's it's quite compelling, isn't it? Yeah, and I think um, you know we we started doing it in in a in a kind of not coy way, but just in a sort of more standard way. And then we just started pushing it further and further and further, and it became a really really um, compelling technique that we we love, and it sort of has become a signature on the edit style of the film. Is is that your eye? is working in a different way to your ear many, many times in the film and you have to really sit up out of your chair and 
pay attention, make sure your eye and your ear are both attuned to what they need to be attuned mm. to. Did you by any chance catch any of the films from the independent US film uh, that were on at the palace? I have not. Well, it's over, but um, <laughs> but neither here nor there. Uh, one of the things that was really interesting, uh, there was a film that had Richard Gere in it, and it was mm. about following a homeless man. Uh, it yes. was the uh, yeah. But what was going on was you seeing him doing stuff, but all the sound is all the street conversations going on. I mean, obviously, he could not hear all those street conversations, but it was a a whole layering of street conversations running along at the same time as he was doing what he was doing. Hmm, How amazing. It was. It was truly amazing. How you use sound with the visuals is just extraordinary. Mm. Um, And obviously independent US filmmakers, as they describe themselves, are fully engaged. In mm. that pursuit, so you're on the money. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess in our in our sphere, like the independent sphere and the low budget sphere, we can use those techniques, and we're encouraged to use those techniques. But I think as you've got more money and it becomes a riskier prospect, um, you know, you're that, after more that, yeah, that gets that that get kind of those uh, riskier or more creative uh, filmmaking techniques might get bashed out of the process, which is unfortunate. But then again, what is actually happening, things that were called experimental are now being used in the mainstream. So, I mean, I was just thinking about the other day, Inception, that film. Mm. It's got a whole sequence in it where where they're upside down in the... That's taken directly from the early French filmmaker. uh, What's his name? You know, that falls into the water and all the rest. Very famous I'm trying to think. I can't. Really. Got, no, it's not Goddard, no. No, it's a, much earlier. Truffaut. Oh, no, it's <laughs> earlier than that. Oh, okay. Very early, very early oh. fellow who uh, did a whole lot of surreal stuff. Oh. Um, anyway, I was just thinking uh, what what appears to be uh, uh, avant-garde now. Avant-garde now <laughs> becomes uh, what everybody, uh, the exciting filmmaking of the future. Yeah. But anyway, by the by, um, I, I, it's been a real pleasure having a chat with you about what's been uh, what's this film Down River, which is going to. Uh, and I didn't even get to. How did you get your money? <laughs> long, and I didn't long... even ask you how did Nick Cave. I let you oh, use the God, song. Oh God, we're so lucky. Yes, Nick Cave provides the uh, the song over the final credits and just plays the final chord. Um, certainly, uh, yeah. The money was a long, a long, painful process. I'm, I'm glad we didn't have to talk about it because it's <laughs> <laughs> then you'd have to relive it. Eh? I'd have to relive it. But thankfully, we got it all together, and um, and also through the support of crowdfunders as as well, they got us across the line. So, yeah, we got there. Um, but yeah, we're in cinemas June 16 at Nova and Lido. There's a Q&A screening, if you'd like to hear more of my voice, um, uh, on the 17th of June at Lido. So I'll be there and hopefully with some cast members as well, if you want to come to that one. That'd be is special. that at 6 o'clock or 6.30 or is it mm, late? Trying to think. Think. No, it's, uh, it they could can be 6.30 see, look or it up. 7. Yeah, yeah, they can look it up on, on the, the um, Lido website. website. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for coming in, Greg. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, and the, the film is Downriver. So look out for it. Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, Mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR.
And uh, that's it for Showreel. Now, don't forget, it's Radiothon coming up. Our program's on the 16th of June. And later on, I'm going to create a uh, film screening for people at 3CR Upstairs. Uh, we're going to have a look at uh, one of the films that uh, Lawrence Johnston made. It's uh, Fallout. It's a wonderful film about uh, Melbourne on the beach and it even stars Gregory Peck and Ava Gardner, but particularly uh, Melbourne in uh, 1959. It's, it's a, as well as what the world was thinking when it came to nuclear uh, warfare. And uh, so stay tuned. You'll find out. You can come. You can meet uh, me <laughs> and uh, help 3CR continue on its uh, 41st year. Uh, I'm going to sign out. Published or not, it's coming up next. And we'll go out with... What have we got? What have we got? You've just been listening to a podcast produced at 3CR Community Radio. 2016 marks 40 years that 3CR has been bringing you independent community voices. And we're asking you, our listeners, to keep us going for another 40 years by donating to our Radical Radiothon this June 6 to 19. This year we need to make $220,000, so any amount you can afford makes a big difference. Call us on 039419 or visit us online at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for supporting Community Radio.